Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written by Dr. Adrian Peterson in Indianapolis and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 716 for release on Sunday, November 13th, 2022. On WaveScan today, a whale stranding at King Island in Tasmania and the local radio scene there. We'll have a recording from the 2022 annual meeting of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters in Washington, D.C., and our Philippine DX report from Henry Umahai. Three weeks ago here in WaveScan, we presented the story of another mass stranding of whales on the west coast of the Australian island of Tasmania. In the middle of September two years ago, 2020, 500 pilot whales were stranded at Macquarie Harbor and Ocean Beach. Tragically, 400 died, though 100 were safely returned to deeper waters. Here's Ray Robinson with more on the whale stranding and the local radio scene. Thanks, Jeff. Strangely, two years later, on the very same day in the middle of September this year, 2022, another mass stranding of 230 pilot whales occurred at the very same location, Macquarie Harbour and Ocean Beach. Tragically, nearly 200 died, though 35 were returned safely to deeper waters. However, this year an additional 14 pilot whales were stranded and died on the shore of King Island, nearly 200 miles further north. News reports state that the King Island stranding occurred on the rugged southwest coast of King Island, that is in Surprise Bay, south of the main town, Curry. There are two inhabited main islands in Bass Strait between Tasmania and the continental mainland of Australia, and both are approximately the same shape, the same size and the same distance from Tasmania. North of the northeast corner of Tasmania is Flinders Island, and north of the northwest corner is King Island. King Island is 40 miles long, north to south, and 15 miles wide, east to west, with a population of 1,500 people. There are three small towns on the island, Curry as the administrative capital, as well as Grassy and Narakupa. The first European to sight King Island was Captain Reed aboard the schooner Martha in 1799. Then two years later, in 1801, it was named King Island by Captain John Black aboard the Harbinger, in honour of the Governor of New South Wales at Sydney, Governor Philip King. And then during the following year, 1802, Commander Charles Robbins aboard the ship Cumberland hastily claimed the island as part of Tasmania for Great Britain, in order to forestall the visit by the French captain Nicolas Baudin, with his two French ships, Géographe and Naturaliste, and his Australian maid, Casu Arena. At the time, King Island was uninhabited, though there is evidence that Australian Aborigines had visited the island. Other temporary inhabitants have been the crews from passing ships, some with Aboriginal wives, shipwreck survivors and occasional scientific personnel. Over the years, more than 60 ships have wrecked against the island with the death of more than a thousand people. The first permanent settlers arrived at King Island in the 1880s. 
However, additionally, some subsequent shipwreck survivors have remained on the island and have intermarried into the local population. The tallest lighthouse in Australia, standing at 157 feet high, was erected at Cape Wickham on the northern tip of King Island in 1861, and a second lighthouse was built at Curry in 1880. The island is noted these days for tourism, its specialty cheese production, the mining of shelite tungsten, mineral sand deposits and the harvesting of kelp. In 1955, there were 18,000 cattle on the island, 15,000 sheep and 1,500 pigs. The first wireless communication station on the island was erected by the Catholic priest Archibald Shaw. He had established his own wireless factory in suburban Sydney, New South Wales, and in order to demonstrate his system of wireless telegraphy, he installed an experimental wireless station on King Island, which was granted the official call sign VZE. The new wireless station was installed on the grounds of the primary school at Curry, and it was taken into experimental service during the year 1911. Government approval was granted to station VZE to transmit paid messages under the same conditions that applied to the AWA coastal stations surrounding Australia. In addition, Shaw also operated the VZE wireless equipment as an amateur station with the call sign XPO. In 1914, the government offered to buy the Shaw wireless station without success. However, the historic King Island station VZE was closed in 1916 when the government-operated AWA station was opened. Now, going back to the year 1908, we find the first occasion when King Islanders made an appeal for a government-operated wireless station, a station that would ease their inherent sense of isolation. Finally, after several such appeals, the government announced that they planned to erect their own station on the island during the year 1916. The new wireless station was installed on vacant property a little inland from the town of Curry, and it was taken into service in January 1916. Even though the AWA callsign VIK had been reserved for use by the King Island station, they instead continued using the shore station callsign VZE, which they retained for many years. In 1928, station VZE, along with the entire network of coastal stations around the continent of Australia, was sold to AWA. During World War II, the station was used for wartime security purposes. In 1947, the network was taken over by OTC, the Overseas Telecommunications Service, and soon afterwards, the King Island station was closed, forever. Google Earth currently shows the station location from a satellite perspective, and it's now a private dwelling in farmland country. Currently, there are 10 radio and TV stations operating on King Island. They're all unattended slave relay stations, and all the transmitters are clustered in the same location on top of a hill known as Gentle Annie. The ABC operates four of these FM relay stations with 200 watts each, along with an additional relay station with 1.6 kilowatts under what was the familiar former medium wave call sign 7NT. The only local radio station on King Island is a community FM station with studios in a residential home near the village of Narakupa. This FM radio station, KICR, on 100.5 MHz, also operates a remote studio in the Science Building at the High School on George Street in Curry. Back to you, Jeff.
Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. A few months ago in July, the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NASB, held its annual meeting at the headquarters of Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. One of our NASB members who was not able to be there in person was WaveScan's own Ray Robinson, who is operations manager at KVOH Shortwave in Los Angeles. But Ray joined us by Zoom during the meeting in Washington to give us an update on what's going on at the Voice of Hope stations. All right. Um, News to give you from the Voice of Hope stations. I'm sure the uh, pandemic has probably affected us the same way as it has other stations. Our programmers are struggling a little with donations to their ministries, and therefore it's a challenge for them to get funds into us. Um, we have been blessed with some great donors um, who have helped keep particularly our operation in Israel running. Obviously, we're not on the air on medium wave there uh, anymore. We've still got the transmitter there, but can't come to a reasonable accommodation with the government licensed operator of the stations for electricity and, and maintenance and oversight costs. But We are still running the studios and a full live um, web stream operation from there. And uh, that's just going, it's probably our strongest station in terms of listener support and where we hear responses from. We're getting feedback from all over the Middle East. So that's very encouraging. In Zambia, which is probably the station I do most work for, you know, I... I obtain all the programs, I set up the station playlists, I handle payment of invoices, I pay our staff. Uh, I, I do all of that side of, of the work for the station in Zambia, remotely from here in California. And uh, they're, they're still trucking along there and we're getting responses in through uh, SMS and through social media into the studio. Um, so that station is still running. It's a challenge sometimes to get spare parts for the transmitters, and oftentimes they have to be sourced from the U.S. Common parts we can get either locally in Zambia or maybe from South Africa, but there are a couple of Continental 418Fs, and to uh, replace any specialist parts, particularly the larger tubes, we have to get them sent from the States. So that's always an expense and takes a lot of time, but uh, we're doing that. In Los Angeles, um, we still, of course, have KVOH on 9975 in the evenings. That that transmitter just blows me away. We're still using that old 60, what is it, 63-year-old now RCA uh, transmitter, and yet we get reports from all over the world. Um, John was John does an hour nightly with his wife um, from six till seven Pacific, so that would be nine till ten Eastern. Does that live Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights every week. And last week he was getting on there, and we just had a response in from West Bengal in India, who had been listening the previous night on nine nine seven five. I mean, this transmitter is supposed to maybe be reaching. Um, North America, the Caribbean, and the northern part of South America and Central America. 
I, but it's heard all over the world. I get reports from Australia. Um, when propagation is favorable, there's just no uh, limit to what those short waves can achieve. It's really amazing. I'm not saying it's perhaps, you know, um, armchair copy uh, at those distances, but they're certainly listening and they give us quite a lot of details about the programs they're hearing too, which is nice. Um, so KVOH is running fine. Our local FM, KWSV, uh, it's an LPFM for Simi Valley, California, uh, is okay. That lost a lot of sponsors during COVID, but they're coming back. And that station is helping to subsidize some of the operating costs for the international network. So we're, we're grateful for that. Um, in the throes of installing some new server equipment there, um, we're putting a, a new um, automated timer for the power on, power off for KVOH. Um, once that goes in, our staffing challenge that's always limited us to six nights a week goes away. Um, otherwise, I don't know. Is there anything in particular that people would like to know? Are you saying the transmitter will turn itself on and off? I'm I'm saying there's a there'll be an automated power on and power off. Yes, um, yeah. I, I see a hand at the back. Yeah, Ray. I was wondering how things are going with the Harris. How things are going with the Harris transmitter that we saw. The Harris. Yeah, I wish I knew. <laughs> I I don't often get involved with the engineering side of things. The Harris is still there. I go up to the transmitter site sometimes. I was up there last. Uh, Friday before last, so a week and a half ago, or a week and a day ago, and uh, the Harris is there with its um, cabinet laid wide open and there's parts all over the place. And I, I know our chief engineer is still actively working on it, but um, it's not on the air. Uh, I, I don't know what the challenges are, but it's it's obviously not operational yet. Yeah, it's it's particularly interesting because one of the preset frequencies it comes with is 9975 <laughs> so that would be that would be very helpful for us but well um it's it's still there still being worked on tinkered with but it's it's not powered on thanks very much ray for that update which he gave at the nesb annual meeting in washington in july now it's our Philippine DX report from Henry Umatai. Hello everyone, hello dear shortwave listeners, wherever you are, welcome to the November 13th edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 188. I'm Henry Umatai in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. I would like to thank our DXer friends for sending a reception report most recently, Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada, and Mr. Chan Zachary Alvarez in Cavite here in the Philippines. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs. October 8, China National Radio 6 on 9420 in Hakka, Pram Beijing at 0905SIO444. October 9, KBS World Radio on 9570 in Korean, Pram Kimche at 0908SIO454. October 14, World Christian Broadcaster. 
KNLS on 9695 in Russian from Anchor Point at 0917 SIO 555. October 14, Radio New Zealand International on 9245 in English from Rajitaki at 0910 SIO 333. October 22, Transworld Radio KTWR on 11965 in Sunda from Marissa Guam at 0925 SIO 433. October 23, Radio Taiwan International and 15320 in English, Pam Pao Chong, at 0325 SIO433. November 1, Missima Radio on 17730 in Burmese, from Al Jabia, at 1200 SIO433. November 1, Voice of America on 1200 in Korean, from Tinang, at 1211 SIO333. November 1, KTWR Transworld Radio on 12040 in Burmese, primary so Guam at 1212 SIO 433. November 1, China Radio International on 11955 in Filipino, Pram Kunming Aning at 1214 SIO 443. November 1, Radio Taiwan International on 11915 in Indonesian, Pram Pao Chong at 1216 SIO 443. November 1, Radio Thailand World Service on 9940 in English, Pam Odantani at 1221 SIO 433. November 1, FEVC Radio on 9920 in Rade, Pram Iba Sambales at 1224 SIO 433. And November 1, Radio Taiwan International on 9735 in English, Pram Pao Cheong at 1230 SIO 433. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to pilipinasdx at gmail.com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-S-D-X for pilipinasdx at gmail.com. This has been Henry Maday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central, Philippines, Sa'ing Mabuhay, at maraming salamat po. Thank you, Henry. As this program was being recorded, another hurricane was expected to hit near WRMI in Florida on November 8th. We'll have a report next week. And finally today, at the risk of embarrassing myself, have a listen to the following recordings that Ray Robinson found in the archives of Jonathan Marx's Media Network program on Radio Netherlands made 30 and 29 years ago. As this edition of Media Network hits the airwaves, no sign of test transmissions yet from the new Catholic shortwave radio station, WEWM in Birmingham, Alabama, USA. But they're still just days away, we're told. Maybe you recall the plans of Radio Miami International to build their own transmitter in the Miami area using a transmitter that started life in the Caribbean. The interval signal has been decided. Yes, the theme tune there of the Miami Vice television series. The frequency for Radio Miami International has also been registered. Desde Miami, capital latinoamericana, esta es WRMI Radio Miami Internacional. From Miami, gateway to Latin America, this is WRMI, Radio Miami International, 99.55 kilohertz in the 31-meter band. Send your comments, inquiries, and reception reports to Radio Miami International, P.O. Box 526852, Miami, Florida, 33152 USA. Telephone 305-267-1728. And if you've heard that station testing already, then call our answer line right now. We'd love to hear from you. Now to a station in the southeastern part of the United States. 
This is WRMI, Radio Miami International, with a test transmission on 9,955 kilohertz in the 31-meter band. Your reception reports will be much appreciated, and they'll be answered with our WRMI QSL card. Send your reports, mentioning the date, time, frequency, and reception quality, to WRMI, P.O. Box 526852, Miami, Florida, 33152, USA. Or you can fax us at area code 305 267 9253. Announcements with test tones have been heard since the weekend from the new station in Miami owned by entrepreneur Jeff White. For several years, he's acted as a broker for many organizations who want to broadcast to the Caribbean and Latin America under the general name Radio Miami International. Airtime has been hired, though, from other private shortwave radio stations. WRNO and WHRI are the ones that immediately come to mind. But now WRMI has been noted by several listeners to Media Network around 19 hours UTC. Just before we came on the air, I asked Jeff when he started regular testing of their new facility. Well, um, they're not exactly regular yet. They're sort of irregular in that uh, uh, we don't have a definite schedule established, uh, but the engineers are are testing out the antenna first, and uh, that's being done with about a uh, 400, 450-watt standby auxiliary transmitter, although it's been heard as far away as uh, Venezuela and Colombia and uh, surprisingly all over North America. You've got the antenna the right way around, have you? <laughs> well, it, it's going, believe it or not, 160 degrees from Miami, which is uh, south-southeast, uh, right through uh, Cuba, Barranquilla, Colombia, and down to Montevideo, Uruguay. Uh, but apparently there's a fair amount of radiation off the uh, back of it as well, and uh, people in, in the U.S. and Canada are picking it up too. Of course, we sort of expected that. That's with uh, 450 watts, but when we get the 50-kilowatt uh, transmitter hooked up... Uh, I imagine the signal will be even better, uh, hopefully both off the front and the back. And that should be, hopefully, less than four weeks. They're still doing uh, final refurbishing work on the on the Wilkinson 50-kilowatt transmitter, uh, going through it piece by piece and wire by wire and uh, repairing and replacing everything. I think within the next few weeks, uh, the 50-kilowatts will be on as well. And you're keeping the same frequency? Yes, 9955 kilohertz. At the same time, Radio Miami International stopped doing something. Actually, we were supposed to stop on uh, October 30th, a program called Radio Seis de Sam, which is a Haitian Creole program uh, produced by the uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide uh, government in exile of Haiti. comes out of the Haitian embassy in Washington. Uh, Aristide was due to return to Port-au-Prince on uh, October 30th, and Radio Seis de Sam then was uh, going to disappear, the idea being that then Aristide would have uh, control of the, the national radio station in Haiti. Unfortunately, none of that happened, so um, they have had to continue broadcasting on uh, shortwave. In fact, they've increased the hours again. They decided to continue for two weeks more until November 15th, and now they have decided to continue indefinitely because there's no uh, scheduled return date for our steed in the near future. So uh, uh, they're now on two hours a day, uh, 2200 UTC via WHRI on 17830, and 2300 UTC on uh, 7355 via WRNO. 
And that's Monday through Friday for both of those those hours. And those programs go via you. Uh, yeah, they come from uh, the the Haitian Embassy in Washington down here to Miami, and then from Miami out to uh, WRNO and WHRI uh, transmitters. Radio Miami International has done quite a bit of business over the last few years because exile groups, particularly the Cuban community in Florida, has had a political interest in getting its message into the Caribbean or South America. But what are the prospects further ahead? Latin American media seems to be blossoming with enormous pressure from Spanish-language satellite television. Recently, we've seen The Voice of America cut back its shortwave service in Spanish, and Transworld Radio in Bonaire sees broadcasting on shortwave altogether to that particular region. So why is Jeff White investing in shortwave wireless? Jonathan, I've done some investigating in, in various Latin American countries over the past couple of years for a number of shortwave stations, including Radio Netherlands. My conclusion really is that... Uh, I think it's a little too early to uh, switch off shortwave and go totally satellite. I don't think there's much audience at all for direct satellite broadcasts, and the problems that are inherent in rebroadcasting really are significant. Uh, you have no control over what's being used, and they want a totally different kind of programming than what shortwave stations are putting out on the air now. Could you argue, though, that it's a more interesting style of programming, and a more uh, up-tempo, short to the point? I would argue that it, that it is more up-tempo, short, and to the point, but not necessarily more interesting. Basically, what's happening is that international broadcasters like BBC, VOA, Radio Netherlands, etc., etc., are now trying to be rebroadcast um, using their satellite signals, rebroadcast by commercial radio networks and, and local commercial radio stations in Latin America. Now, so obviously they have to adapt... Uh, a more up-tempo uh, style of programming, shorter programs. Basically what they want is, is a news feed service. And uh, until now, none of these stations have offered uh, the stations in Latin America what they want. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's rebroadcasting. And I still think there's a, a large audience out there of shortwave listeners in Latin America of opinion leaders. Radio Netherlands, the home of high frequency since 1927. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, a return to the radio scene on Guadeloupe and other nearby islands in the Caribbean. Also our Bangladesh DX report. WaveScan is heard on weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Said reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>